You want to imagine this month. Really imagine. Imagine a church that said yes. A church that said yes to, to these things that we've, we've put on the wall. Imagine a church that said yes to immersing. That we were so keen for Jesus to be at the very, very centre of everything that we are and, and everything that we do. Um, that we just want to spend time uh, with him. We want to spend time reading our Bibles. We want to spend time in prayer because we want him to be uh, the reference point, the central point in our lives. Imagine a community that was uh, so desirous of sharing their lives together, generously sharing their lives, that they just couldn't wait to be together. They couldn't wait for times when they could just uh, interact and be generous to each other in all sorts of ways with their time, with their goods, uh, with everything. Imagine a church that said a resounding yes to, um, to resting because it's only when we take actually this idea of Sabbath rest seriously that we can actually be refreshed and renewed to do all the other things that we need to be doing uh, with energy and with vitality. So over this month of July, we want to focus on these four themes because they're life-giving. And these, these are pictures that Lindy did when we, we talked about these in the early days uh, while we were actually talking. So she was working over here and uh, doing these pictures, and then we've reproduced them, and they're on the wall now. But what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? You know, after we've done four weeks of this, you'll be able to answer that question because you'll be able to say, you know, a person who follows Jesus is somebody who regularly immerses themselves in the Bible and in prayer so that they can make Jesus central. It's a person who shares their life generously with others. It's a person who acts to transform their world for good. And it's a person who rests, who takes Sabbath rest seriously so that they can be revitalised to live the way God would want them to live. And so today we're going to talk about saying yes to acting. And as I was um, thinking about this during the, the week, the church that said, yes, we will act to transform our world for good, I thought about people at New Community, who inspire me and inspire all of us in this. And it's, hard, it's, it's wrong to mention names because I might not mention your name and you might be doing something incredibly uh, significant as well. And so don't, if I mention a name and yours doesn't get mentioned, don't feel badly. But, you know, I think of Fiona Hamilton who lives in East Timor and uh, the people who have been to East Timor on visits and our church has a particular connection with East Timor have always been inspired by Fiona because Fiona said in her heart it's not right that teenage girls should be without a home. So she's opened up a home in Dili, in a very, very poor uh, part of the world, and she's opened it up to teenage girls. And she's also even adopted a little girl who didn't have a home. So that's Fiona Hamilton. I think of Michelle Gates. Now, I'm not sure if Michelle's here this morning, but Michelle has a passion uh, for this charity called Days for Girls. And she's so passionate about it because she doesn't believe it's right that girls in developing countries should not go to school for, say, two weeks out of four during their menstrual cycle. So she, this Days for Girls produces these uh, washable sanitary kits that um, are distributed all over the place. Michelle's passionate about that and she's making a difference because she says it's not right that something like that should happen. I think of Chris Waterworth, who's an uh, audiologist, I think you'd say Chris is. He's not here, is he? But uh, I think that's what you'd call Chris. And Chris believes that it's not right that people in East Timor shouldn't benefit from some of the, the skills and equipment that we have in our country. So when he goes to East Timor, he uses his, his, uh, his gift in, and his, his uh, vocation to make a difference because it's not right that we should keep that all to ourselves. I think of Nandy, who's probably inspired us as a church, Nandy and Steve, to be connected with East Timor. And Nandy just searches out these projects that we support with our Christmas appeal 
Um, and probably over the years, we've, we've contributed well over $200,000 to all sorts of projects. And in recent years, building of large parts of schools. Because Nanny doesn't think it's right that children in a country like East Timor, Timor should be any less uh, able to be educated in good conditions than people in our society. I think of John and Jenna who we're going to visit next week and I think of Robin who we also support as a church who lives in West Asia in a country that's really difficult that we're not allowed to mention um, for safety reasons. But people who believe that it's not right that we should have all the resources uh, to help us to read and understand the Bible in our own language. It's not right that people in places like Nuka and places like um, this place in West Asia um, should be in that position where they don't. And so they've gone to those places. And, you know, yesterday in this room, uh, Fiona and Scott and Lindy, I think, and, and others were involved in a concert that filled this room. And they did that because they're going to Timor later in this, in this month and they didn't want a group of people in a, a, a women's refuge there to be without some of the resources that they need. So they were raising money so that when they go, they can bless those people with a gift. I think of Dave Gunston, who regularly, and Jen too, who regularly goes to either Russia or Africa... Uh, and builds things for people because he doesn't think it's right that they should be living uh, in, a, in a way that's uh, destitute when we're doing so well. And I could go on. Wasn't it great to see Lachlan up here this morning? Wasn't it good that two little guys could, should think, well, instead of just doing a, a, a footy match, let's do a runathon and let's make it raise some money for some people in Nepal because it's not right that people should still be suffering after those horrific earthquakes. I could go on, but, you know, when we look at... at, at uh, the New Testament, there's a, a question that comes up in a, a passage in Luke chapter 3, and it's this question, what should we do? You see, the crowds were flocking uh, to John to be baptised. This is John the Baptist. This is before Jesus uh, came onto the scene. And these crowds are all, all flocking to him, and he rebukes them, and he says to them, you're, a, you're like a brood of vipers coming out into the desert to see me. And he says, if you want to live lives, if you want your lives to line up, with God's kingdom, then you need to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. You're saying you want to change your lives. Well, actually, we're only going to be able to see if your lives have been changed if your lives actually show some fruit that's actually in keeping with the change that you say you're wanting. And so their request to him is, so what should we do? What should we do? And uh, this is what he says. The crowd asks in general, they say, and John answers, anyone who has two shirts should share with one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. And even tax collectors came to be baptised. Now, these two, next two groups, tax collectors and soldiers, would have been among the most hated people uh, in their society at that time. And even tax collectors came. And teacher, they asked, what should we do? And Jesus says, don't collect any more. Than, John says, don't collect any more than you're required to. And then some soldiers asked John, what should we do? And he replies, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. You see, producing fruit in keeping with repentance, fruit that's going to be um, consistent with the life of the kingdom of God that Jesus is on about, is actually going to be these sort of things. And we say, wow, they're actually not that complicated, are they? When you look at those things, I was thinking about this, and there's a lot of kids here this morning, and if you think about those things and put them into a little bit simpler language, what should we do? I think it's this. Share your stuff. Be fair with each other. Has your mother ever told you that? Don't be mean and cruel. You ever heard that from an adult? 
and be happy with what you've got. Really, they are the things. They're the just very, very simple things that John is telling the crowd and the tax collectors and the soldiers to do. If you've got more than you need, give it away. Tax collector, do your job honestly and fairly. Right the wrongs that you've done up to this point. And the soldier, don't extort, don't falsely accuse, and be content with your pay. Simple things. You know, sometimes I think we get a little bit uh, confused with the whole idea of justice, and we talk about justice and mercy and charity, and is there a big difference between all of them? And is, is mercy and charity when we're actually doing things so that we're giving stuff to people, but justice is actually when we're righting the wrong so that the things don't happen again? And there's truth in all of that. Um, but uh, Tim Keller has written a great book called Generous Justice, and he says this, We do justice when we give all human beings their due as creations of God. Doing justice includes not only the righting of wrongs, but generosity and social concern, especially towards the poor and vulnerable. This kind of life reflects the character of God. It consists of a broad range of activities, from simple, fair and honest dealings with people in daily life, to regular, radically generous giving of your time and resources, to activism that seeks to end particular forms of injustice, violence and oppression. And so that's the whole gamut. And you might say, oh, I'm not an activist... But I'm sure you're capable of dealing honestly and fairly with people in daily life and giving generously of the resources that you have. You know, Lee uh, sent me a photo this uh, last week of a shop in uh, East Ringwood, just near the op shop. And, you know, it's got, that's his title, it's selling gifts and things. And it says, Heaven on Earth, where it's all about you. Isn't that a great title? Heaven on Earth, where it's all about you. Wow. I, I, I just altered the slide a little bit. <laughs> because actually, the message of the kingdom and the message that we want to get across as a church is that a church that says yes to acting is actually a church that says no to selfishness, a church that says no to greed, a church that says no to actually wanting to do everything just to please me. And so... Uh, just think about that, heaven on earth, where it's all about you. And maybe we need to examine ourselves because for, for a lot of us, it's very easy to fall into that, that, well, what, what would be really heavenly for me is when I'm just doing my thing in my own way for my own good. See, the thing that I find heavenly is uh, having a cup of coffee on my own, uh, reading the paper. And that, that might be good to an extent. But actually, it's not a, not a life-giving thing for a community of people, is it? It's not a life-giving thing for my wife, even. Um, nothing wrong with it, but there's a whole lot of things that we do that are, are really self-focused. Some of them refresh us, and that's great. But we need to think about just how we deal with our time and our money and uh, the things that really count. Heaven on earth, it's all about you. I want to just share with you one simple story from the Bible about Jesus' care for the vulnerable. We, we read this in our staff meeting on Monday last week and it struck me that this was incredibly relevant to today because I think if we're wanting to look at a little model for the way Jesus interacted with a world that was broken, um, this is a great little model and I've highlighted some key words in the story. A deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to him and the people begged Jesus to lay his hands on the man to heal him and Jesus led him away from the crowd so that they could be alone. And he put his fingers into the man's ears. Then spitting on his own fingers, he touched the man's tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, Ephthatah, which means be opened. And instantly, the man could hear perfectly 
and his tongue was freed so that he could speak plainly. We had an interesting discussion about the hygiene of this healing uh, in, our, in our staff meeting, but we thought we did note that uh, he actually put his fingers in the man's ears and then he didn't actually go like this, he spat on his fingers. So <laughs> we thought that was probably better. But uh, no, seriously, I just want to look at those four, four words that are highlighted there because I think they're a really helpful little model for us. The first word is this word, look. It says when Jesus did this, he looked up to heaven. And uh, I think if we want to be the sort of people who say yes in our community to acting, if we want to be the sort of people who, as it were in this passage, give sight to blind people, um, we've got to be the sort of people who are gazing up into heaven. When we pray, um, we need to pray as a priority before the things that we want to do when we come to acting. Prayer needs to be our priority, priority before work. And, you know, when we pray, we demonstrate who it is who has the power to make a difference and who it is that we trust. And so for followers of Jesus, wanting to do good in this world, I think the first thing we need to think about is involving God in the whole process. So we need to look. We need to look up to heaven in prayer. We need our gaze uh, to be towards God. And then the, the second word there is the word sigh. The look and the sigh. It says that Jesus breathed a deep sigh. It's the breath of compassion. I was um, listening to the radio this week and there was a, a lady on and she was representing a, uh, a network that she created called the, the Missing Persons Something or Other Network. And she made, I, I think I've got the stat right, she said that every day in Australia 100 people go missing and 98 are found, uh, but two are never uh, located. They just disappear. And she'd been passionate about this because her brother had disappeared. And so she went through all sorts of ways of getting the media involved and to the point that there was a sighting of her brother and, and even some video footage came up of her brother. She's in Melbourne, uh, of, of him up in uh, Queensland somewhere. And he'd lost a lot of weight and he was quite... But he'd had a 10-minute conversation with somebody who made contact. But they still never found this guy. And... Uh, as a family, she was just talking about how, how difficult that was and how much she'd wanted to make a difference for other people who were in the same situation. But they were reflecting on the fact that, interesting, that here's a person who's still there, still alive, still somewhere, and yet nobody's actually reported him in or... or some, one person did, but then he just disappeared again. And this lady says, oh, yeah, but everybody's so... They're just looking down, she says. They're just looking at their phones. <laughs> and I thought, well, it's probably an re- interesting reflection, isn't it? That actually we, we can be so careless about all the things that are going on about us that we don't actually have that look of compassion. Jesus sighs with a deep sigh. He has compassion for people who are broken, people who are hurting. And maybe our, our society doesn't help us at all to, to be compassionate because we are so self-focused. But Jesus sighs with incredible feeling for this man. You know, when you think about the life of Jesus, compassion just oozed out of him. Even uh, that story about the death of Lazarus, it talks about how Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Deeply moved. And we think he's the the son of God, the one who actually has the answer to this, the one who can fix this. But even in in the the context of it, he's, he's deeply moved and troubled. Um, and he was always like that, even approaching his own death 
a death that so completely de demonstrated his compassion for us. He wasn't willing that any should perish. When we think about the death of Jesus, we, we see God's compassion for, for lost humanity just uh, front and centre, don't we? Jesus, perfect humanity, dies in our place so that us imperfect, broken human beings can be restored to relationship with God. I trust you've experienced something of the compassion of Jesus, that you've responded to that good news, that God loves you, that God sent his son for you, that God is a compassionate God who demonstrates his compassion to us just so fully in Jesus. So he looks up to heaven and he sighs a deep sigh. So when we look to heaven, we see the world through God's eyes and we need to ask God if we don't feel that compassion to give us eyes to see him and his heart uh, for broken people. And then there's the, the touch. Sometimes when we're trying to do things that help people who are uh, not as fortunate as us, it can be really messy. And I've lost track of my slides here. It's the touch of um, personal contact. Jesus never recoiled from reaching out and touching people who are broken, laying his hands on people. The classic example is leprosy where a person was seen to be unclean by everybody else and just Jesus reaches out and touches people with le le leprosy. Touch seems to be the instinct of his loving heart. And you know, it's hard for us to be the hands and the feet of God to people if we don't have contact with people, if we don't actually have physical contact with people sometimes so that they know that they matter to us, that we're close to them. There are some things that it's, it's, uh, it's hard for us to have that physical contact and a lot of the things that we do in supporting people in other countries are fantastic uh, and we can only do it by giving and that's the best way we can do it. But how good is it when we can actually have physical contact with people who are needy and actually feel their pain and experience something of what they're going through and, and to actually be there for them. And so Jesus never recoiled from touching and reaching out to people. And then he says the word finally... Uh, and he just says simply be opened and it says that uh, this man's eyes were opened uh, his ears were opened and he, he's, he began to speak sorry, he's not his eyes, his ears and he began to speak what a fantastic little model for us we need to look to heaven and pray we need to sigh that compassion that sigh that Jesus had for, for lost people we need to be prepared to reach out and get our hands dirty sometimes uh, and finally we have his word. His word is be open. And you know, I think for many of us, this is where the rubber hits the road. Are we able to actually verbalise clearly what Jesus means to us? Because he's the one who's changed us. It's the good news of the gospel that's transformed our lives, that's made us new people. And we want that for other people. And sometimes the, the greatest gift we can give to someone is to speak those words to them. And so in the midst of our action, maybe that's a part of our action as well, just speak out clearly the saving message of Jesus, the good news of the gospel. The church that said yes. The church that said yes to act to transform our world for good. You will notice on your seat, if you haven't got one, that we have a little sheet here that's been 
revised and reprinted. And I would strongly encourage you, if there's not one on your seat, to grab one of these and take it home because it explains our new community way of life really well. On the front, there's a little general explanation and then inside, each of these four words are explained. And you might like to look at the words uh, in here that talk about ACT. There's also some questions that go with this and I've got some little business cards that summarise the questions that are on the back that are just ideal for if you were to meet with somebody in a, in a little accountability sort of relationship and say, hey, I really am serious about following Jesus and I, I want to be uh, faithful in that but I really need someone to help me. I need someone to keep me accountable. This is just ideal for that. Your little card, I keep mine in my wallet. When you meet with a person, you get it out and you just talk about those questions. We've slightly revised the questions um, but they're good questions. They're not hard questions, but they're good questions. And they keep us thinking about these things that are really important. Just three verses as we finish. Faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. That's what James said. And, you know, some of us, uh, we profess strong faith in Jesus. But James says, actually, that faith needs to be backed up by actions that reflect what we believe. Same as what John was saying, fruits in keeping with repentance from Luke 3. Jesus said, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. When we were talking about the way of life in our staff meeting, uh, Ali Box said, you know, we want to be able to tell people that actually this is good news. This is actually life-giving. This is actually a way to live that makes sense. And so... This verse is so relevant. Everyone hears these words of mine, Jesus says, and puts them into practice. It's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rest of that story is about the foolish man who refuses to hear the word and doesn't put it into practice. His house is on the sand. And when the storms come, his house falls down because it had no foundation. And the message is really clear for us, is it? And it's a simple message. These things are really, really important. And I wonder what you're building on today. And I wonder, as I've reflected on this, maybe what is it that stops me from actually acting consistently uh, in a way that is transforming of my world? Just four, four simple things as we close and the band's going to come up and sing a, a lead us in a final song. I wonder, for me sometimes, is it a security issue? Can I really trust God um, with everything? I can trust him with parts of my life, but I'm not prepared to trust him with everything. If that's you, maybe you need to pray a simple prayer like I've got up there. God, help me to see that my life is in your hands and that I can be generous with what you've given me. Sometimes we hold back because we're not sure whether we've got enough for ourselves. God can be trusted. Maybe it's a vision issue. You're just not quite sure what it is out there that you need to do. I mentioned this morning about asking God to give you eyes to see the needs around you. Maybe it's a motivation issue. Who cares? What does it really matter as long as I'm okay? Heaven on earth, it's all about me. We need to learn, don't we, that everything ultimately is God's. We need to pray, God, teach me that everything ultimately is yours and help me to grasp your grace. You've given me so much. Freely, freely you've received. Freely give. And then finally, it's a faith issue. Do my actions match what I say I believe? God, maybe you need to show me how to live so that my actions point more clearly to Jesus. There's just four issues that maybe you're, you're grappling with. I, I wonder whether you want to pick one or two of those and, and just pray those prayers simply to God as we close.
because we want to be a church uh, that says yes to acting to transform our world for good.